Hi, and welcome to Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. I'm your host, Donna Bishop. Hello, hello, and thank you so much for joining me here today. I am super stoked for today's guest. It is Amanda Costco, tech and fashion expert, founder of The Electric Runway. We are going to talk about her journey and how she started, which was interviewing a self-identified cyborg. I know, wait for it. But then we get into you know, a lot of things that are really relevant right now. What are the global differences and priorities when it comes to fashion and tech? What about the hype cycle of AI? Where does she see it going? What's going to stick when it comes to fashion and tech? So lots of stuff that is really relevant. Let me tell you a little bit more about Amanda. Amanda Costco is a future-focused entrepreneur with a decade of experience in media, marketing, and brand strategy. She is most known for Electric Runway, her ongoing multimedia project documenting how technology is transforming the $3 trillion fashion industry around the world. Let's get to the conversation. Amanda, it is so wonderful to finally, I'm going to say finally, because I've been wanting to do this for a while, have you on Fashion Talks. How are you today? I'm great, Donna. Thank you so much for having me. It is such a pleasure. And I can't wait to get into fashion and tech, which I know is such like a bit of a beast of a discussion. But before we get there, you know, Electric Runway has been around for many years. I think you might be coming up on a milestone kind of soon. Almost 10 years. years. Yeah. That's amazing. Two or three years away from a decade. What about your background led you to fashion and tech? Like what are kind of the key moments that are good for us to know, to understand how you came to have this, this lens of the intersection of fashion and technology? Yeah, well, it seems like a niche when you first tell people, well, I cover the intersection of fashion and technology. But when you actually look at it, it's not really a niche because fashion encompasses apparel, retail, manufacturing. It's just such a large, um, such a large industry and so many different people and stakeholders involved. And I got involved in the fashion industry by means of my parents and my grandparents. My grandmother was a seamstress. My grandfather was a tailor and they worked at the Tip Top Tailor Building in Toronto, which is now luxury condos. And I live uh, close to that now. So every time I pass by that mile or that by that building, I think of, you know, the history that's there. Um, but they had their own shop on Dundas Street West, and it was a men's clothing store. And my intergenerational Italian family, my grandparents raised me as much as my, you know, my own parents did. And so we spent a lot of time in the tailor shop, my brother and I, and in the retail store as well. Um, so I grew up around fashion. I never intended to work in fashion. When I went to school, I studied journalism and literature. And when I started wanting to work in the world of ideas, I was trying lots of different things in media, trying to find out where I had a voice and turned out as much as I loved music, I didn't really have a voice there. And as much as I loved other disciplines, I didn't really have much to say, but I had a lot to say about fashion. And it was around 2000 and uh, 10, I believe, where the wearable technology movement really started to take off. And I met some folks from the We Are Wearables community, and they were starting to talk about putting technology on the body, which of course is what we do when we're talking about fashion. We're talking about putting art and clothing on the body. And so I saw this interesting opportunity to 
look at this from my unique perspectives as someone who's grown up in fashion, but always also someone who's always been an early adopter of technology. Like I remember I was the first kid in my school to have a, a, a cell phone. And this was like way before the times when people were carrying around phones. It was like a flip You're phone. You're a woman with her finger on the pulse all the time. <laughs> I remember I brought a laptop to high school when like nobody brought a laptop to high school, but I was just, I was just into it. I was just into tech. And yeah, I, I was a little bit of an early adopter. And so given that background, it kind of made sense when someone needed to be kind of translating these different innovations that were happening for the fashion industry. Um, I was right there and thought, well, I'm going to start pulling this thread and see how far it takes me. And it turns out it's taken me <laughs> almost a decade later and all the way around the world. So it's been quite the adventure. There's, there's this question that I love to ask everyone, because I think any of us who, who certainly who work in fashion, anyone who loves fashion, has this moment where we realize that fashion, this thing, clothing, has way more power than just protecting our skin and bones from the elements. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering you have a, if you have a memory, maybe from when you were a kid or when you were a teenager, where you kind of had that, that click of these things I put on every day, they actually mean something more than just making sure my body is covered. Yeah. Well, when I was first living in Toronto and trying to break into the world of journalism, I actually wore this hat that had like a press thing in it. And I would go around and tell people I was writing for blog TO. And that was my way to get into different events and things like that for free so that I could um, then report on them for my blog at the time. And That's so awesome. it's kind of like a fake until you make it type of moment. Um, so I think that there was definitely that, but I mean, growing up also in the tailor shop and seeing the different suits that my grandfather would make, um, that showed me that there was like a certain way that you can communicate yourself um, with your clothing that signals a certain taste, a certain, you know, a culture, a certain level of culture. And I found that really interesting um, as well. So I don't know, is that, uh, is that, juicy enough of a story it's totally <laughs> juicy. well because we see it we can see it externally as well as experience it internally right like I think whenever it's that spark of ah that has yeah. meaning beyond what I had previously previously thought yeah so I think fashion allows us to like slip into different roles it allows us to try on different identities and it's always been something that I've like experimented with myself um there's different versions of Amanda out there and it depends where you catch her um, in terms of like what I'll be wearing. But I've always found that one of the joys of fashion. I completely agree. I want to kind of just lean into something you mentioned a few minutes ago where you said you didn't like you found your voice in fashion, like you loved music, but you didn't think you had a, a voice for music. Mm -hmm. How did you, how did you discover, you know, thinking for all of our budding writers out there and whatnot. And I think it's a really interesting thing to understand is how did you know that fashion was where your voice was? Well, it actually came after I was writing about technology on the body. Um, I had, <laughs> so this is kind of a long story, but um, so I was writing about different disciplines, as I was mentioning, and the fashion part actually made sense given my background, but I actually first started writing about wearables and technology on the body 
which can be seen as a form of fashion and also a form of expression. But um, it kind of came about because I was looking to pitch stories to different publications and I found out that this self-identified cyborg was coming to Toronto. Um, his name's Neil Harbison and he has an antenna osseo integrated into his head. And what that means is he has an antenna literally attached to the bone in his head. Wow. And I was just kind of astounded that he was going to be in Toronto. And so I pitched a story to the Globe and Mail. I wrote to the editor of the Globe and Mail. The subject line was a cyborg comes to town. And of course, with a byline like that, you have to open the email and you have to fund that story. So he said, okay, go ahead and write this. And so that was my first big break as a journalist was writing for the Globe and Mail. And it was such an interesting story because I'd never met anyone like Neil. And his antenna was a tool for him to be able to see color or sorry, to hear color, I should say, because every color gives off of a sound frequency. And Neil, although he is an artist, he is also colorblind. So he sees everything in grayscale and he used wow. the antenna. Yeah. So he used the antenna to perceive color through the frequency that it gives off. And this would be delivered to him via haptic technology, like a vibration in the back of his skull. So he would start to associate, um, you know, different sounds essentially with different colors. And then he would make art with that. So of course, like meeting Neil and hearing his story got me so fascinated in where this wearable technology could go. Because unlike clothing, which you take off at the end of the day, an antenna in your head, like he actually slept with this thing, he ate with this thing, he showered with this thing, it didn't come off. It was absolutely a part of him. And I just found it so fascinating that, um, as I said, I had to continue to um, pull that thread. And given, as I said, my background in fashion, it made sense that I was, you know, providing criticisms like, well, Google Glass is interesting, but nobody's actually going to wear that because I understood consumer behavior and, um, you know, aesthetics and things like that. Uh, and so that's how I sort of ended up in the middle of the world of wearables in Toronto. And as I said, it just kind of continued from there. Well, I think that's such an interesting example of like, when I think about fashion and technology, I like on the one hand, it sounds incredibly cool. There's a lot of really cool things. And at the same time, there can be an element of it that is kind of troubling to oh, put yeah. it broadly. Yeah. And I'm wondering, you know, where I, I'm sure you're, I mean, your, your stories are so thorough and so amazing. I know you sort of swing back and forth. How are you seeing that intersection right now? Yeah. I think the first time I was always, first of all, I was always a kind of champion of these two industries getting together because I thought that there's a lot of opportunity. I think, you know, tech nerds need to little learn a little bit more about design and aesthetics. And I thought also that um, fashion companies and creatives could learn more about data and about um, efficiencies and things like that. So I thought that these two industries were sort of ripe for one another. Um, but, uh, sorry, what was your question, Donna? Well, it's, I mean, it's cool and it can be troubling. Like, oh, there yes, can be, yes, 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 right? yeah. Like, where do you see, where's so your pendulum So I was always swinging? a champion of these two industries coming together. But the first time it really hit me that, um, yes, there is something scary about technology is when I went to Bangladesh. And 
I was invited to be a part of this delegation talking about the future of fashion. And of course, I was there talking about wearables and technology on the body. And all they wanted to know was how many robots are going to take our jobs? Because automation is a very, very real threat in places like Bangladesh, where over 80% of their entire um, economy is manufacturing and specifically garment manufacturing. Mm -hmm. So that's when I really started to think about it. And we're now seeing like, you know, fast forward, it's now 2023 and we're now seeing AI coming after models, right? I just did a piece on Instagram about how Levi's is using AI to generate models so that it can have quote unquote diversity in the models that they put online wearing their clothes. But of course, on the other hand, that means that like photographers and makeup artists and the models themselves aren't being used anymore. So I think there is a sort of sinister side, but I think that it's it's not inherently, like AI as an example is not inherently bad. I think AI could do a lot for the fashion industry in terms of, um, as I said, creating efficiencies and, you know, predicting what people want. And, you know, like it can be an assistive tool for sure, but there is this very scary side of it that's like replacing, replacing jobs. But I don't think it's my job necessarily as a journalist or somebody who's working in this space to have a stance on, is it good or is it bad? It's like mostly all gray and let's talk about the shades of gray that are in between and um, hopefully ask important questions. Cause I think what's happening now with technology, as we just saw with the TikTok hearings, like the legislation is not keeping up with technology. And so there's a lot of uh, problems that will arise in the future. And, and that's worrisome as well. When we spoke before we started the recording, you said something that really made my ears go bing as you said, fashion has a data problem. Yeah. What did you mean by that? So I think it was H&M that had three, three trillion. No, I can't remember it off the top of my head. An enormous amount of unsold clothes. And it was basically because they're, buyers and their designers and things like that weren't getting the data right in the sense that there's all this data generated from what people like on Instagram and social media. And I don't feel like the fashion industry has probably harnessed that in order to make better decisions about what you're going to create. I think we need more intentional design, more purposeful uh, design and more purposeful consumption as well. And I think that AI can really help with that or data and machine learning can help with that. Um, I I know I'm being a little bit of an idealist to say this, but uh, I do think that we can get there. If you look at a company like Xi'an, they're using AI to their advantage to be able to have very slim margins because they're using so much data to make decisions. I'm not saying that that's the best company that we should model ourselves after in terms of the quality of the clothes, but it's almost like the whole dot-com boom. A lot of companies, especially fashion and retail, fell behind and they're like, you know, we don't need a website. Nobody's going to shop for clothes online. And then all of a sudden they were far behind. I think AI is going to be the next big thing that um, is going to completely revolutionize retail. It's not the metaverse, right? Like we've heard all this hype about the metaverse during the pandemic years and, um, I think a lot of people jumped on that because they were worried about getting left behind. And I don't actually think that that is the major trend that is going to be shaping the future of retail. I think it has influence on it, but 
um, I think AI is a much, much bigger deal. Are there any gender concerns? Because as you were talking and talking about like the, the, the workers in Bangladesh, predominantly, I'm sure women working women. in the factories, yeah. um, the, inf- the, the AI stories around the models, they tend to be female models that we certainly see as examples of how the AI will be used. Are we living in a, and I'm generalizing, I know that, but you know, is this, is there a gender thing that we need to be aware of? Like who is, is there a, is there still a bro culture and the kind of like that tech founder mentality that we should be aware of? I think it's a gendered thing. I think it's a class thing. I think it's a race thing. Like all of these things intersect, but AI is mostly being programmed by white males in Silicon Valley. And there's people that are inherently left out because of that. And, um, with my startup that I had not too long ago, Halt AI, that was one of the things that we were trying to do. We were trying to detect bias in AI to make algorithms more fair and equitable. And uh, I know we're going to see in the future more demands for algorithmic transparency and more demands for um, us to be aware when um, algorithms are working on us or algorithms are making decisions about our lives, right? Because if you think about it, um, algorithms determine whether or not you get a job. They determine whether or not you get a mortgage. So these are very real decisions. Uh, and so, um, yeah, the startup that I previously had, we were we were trying to solve for that, and it's not an easy problem. <laughs> no, I mean, I know it is. It, like, it's a it's a beast, right? Because once you start to peel back the layers of like just one question, you realize it's that proverbial onion of oh, 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 and we yeah. need to look at even even that in that again. And what I what I'm always struck by with your stories is like there's such a hype cycle sometimes around technology that sometimes those layers, you know, don't always get exposed the same way. Is that, is that hype cycle something you think we're going to continue to see when we talk about technology and fashion in all its many ways? Like there always seems to be a like, Oh, snap is doing something and Oh, there's AI here. And Oh, you know, what's going on with this company over, over there. It's like, you know, whack-a-mole of, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. It is a hype cycle. And with the metaverse, we saw a hype cycle that had a peak of people, you know, spending lots of money on NFTs or digital fashion. And now that's sort of waning out. And the next hype cycle will definitely be AI. But what happens at the tail end of the hype cycle is that there's actual innovation that can happen. And so the promises of the technology in the beginning of the hype cycle are so exaggerated. Um and then you go through that trough of disillusionment and everyone's like, oh, you know, that wasn't the great thing that we thought it was yeah. going to be. But then I will you not actually... design, buying designer clothing for my avatar that will replace <laughs> me in my like virtual meetings. Darn. <laughs> exactly. Right. And so now we're seeing um, the tail end of a lot of different technologies and they're finding their way in the market. Like that story that I just did about Snapchat and how they're. Uh, leveraging all of their technology and services to now offer a business-to-business solution where you can use augmented reality and 3D to your advantage as a smaller retailer um, with their enterprise suite. So I think that's really cool. Like, look at where Snapchat started. They started with dog ears and, um, you know, puking rainbows, and now they're powering commerce tools 
for fashion brands, right? So <laughs> who would have thought we would have got here? So I think it's easy to dismiss the technology when it's in the hype cycle or when it's just silly, but later on, it's going to find a use case. It's going to settle into the world. And I, I think that's exactly what we're seeing with technologies like augmented reality. Um, and this is when there's a lot of money to be made. So it's very exciting. But um, I think with AI, we're definitely at the start of the peak of the hype cycle. And it's going to be AI this and AI that for the next little while. What about things like skins and and filters? Have we like gone through the trough of that as well. And we're going to start to see a more usefulness come out of come out of those things. Because, you know, I, I always think there's like the novelty that needs to be balanced with longevity that needs to be mm -hmm. balanced with profitability to really see what's going to going to stick. Has, yeah. you know, has that triad served those those pieces of where, you know, fashion and tech kind of intersected in, you know, that metaverse virtual world we all got so excited about, I think, during COVID particularly, because we were yeah. all in locked up the whole time. Yeah, we couldn't go to fashion week, we couldn't go to, you know, different shops and things like that. So I think anywhere that people represent themselves online, there's going to be a market for skins and filters and things like that. But I think it's going to be a niche market. I mean, even within Fortnite, right, like they do make a lot of their money off of their skins and accessories and things like that. Um, and I think that gaming, we can't ignore the fact that gaming has had a huge influence on fashion over the last five years, um, starting with the League of Legends and Louis Vuitton collaboration. I think that for me was like the beginning. And then we saw like Moschino and The Sims and all these different uh, kind of interactions happening between the game world and the fashion world. And that makes sense, right? Like they're both kind of thinking about the future and they're both, um, you know, music and gaming and culture, these things all sort of intersect. So I think that we can't underestimate the influence of gaming on the future of fashion. I even think that the way we shop will be more gamified in the future, just like the way we've dated has become more gamified in the future. So I think that there's going to be an influence there and it's really pushing merchants to be more um, experience driven. So creating the best experience for your customer where they're totally immersed in your brand. I feel like that's going to be definitely here to stay. Um, but I don't think that the market of digital fashion as in digital only fashion for consumer purchase is going to be big at all. Um, I think that was definitely like a, a an interesting trend. However, the digitization that is happening on the back end of fashion and manufacturing and design is astounding. Like it's becoming easier and easier to, you know, not know how to sketch and still be able to have a clothing line, right? So these softwares such as Clo3D, for example, they just make it so easy to turn anybody into a fashion designer. And the way that companies like Tommy Hilfiger are digitizing their um, and streamlining with technology, their manufacturing process. I think that the gaming world is going to have continue to have influence on that because even though things may be innovated in the realm of fun and games, they are often um, finding their use case in enterprise. And um, I think that's ultimately a good thing when we can take these things that were invented for fun and find a way to make them useful. 
Yeah, it's just R&D getting its amortization, right? Like yeah. it might be have one usefulness over here, but we pull it to a place over here where it's like, oh, well, that's actually really magical where it can happen here. Yeah. Well, and we never know when where technology is going to land and in the fashion industry. Like there's a lot of um, superficial adaptations of technology in order to just like garner PR like, oh, we're releasing an NFT, but like, you know, what does it do? We don't know that type of thing. Um and then there's actual real innovation and adoption. And that's where, like, that's what gets me excited. So later this week for my podcast, I'm interviewing somebody from Modern Meadow. And I'm sure you know, they're the company that um, takes mushrooms and turns them into a leather that Stella McCartney uses. And I feel like that is a type of innovation that we can all get on board with because it's um, better for the planet. It's better for animals and uh, it's just like that's where we need to be innovating is towards new sustainable materials and practices. We don't necessarily need clothing for the metaverse. I feel like we have enough clothing as it is in real life. And uh, the goal should be making these industries cleaner and greener. Where else are you seeing that sustainability benefit? Like, the, you know, because I think you're right when when most of us think about fashion and tech, we see it as very outward, like, you know, Google Glass, wah-wah, or, yeah. you know, avatars and stuff like that. But what are we not seeing that really excites you that where fashion and tech are like working to make the world a better place? Like, are, are is it helping with like waste of, you know, garments being developed or like what's going on? It can be. But the thing is, is that the incentive right now is to sell, right? Like any company that is making anything needs you to buy it in order for them to be profitable, Right. The sustainability conversation, although it's been around for a long time, it's still in a lot of organizations, a niche conversation or a niche person. Like this is our chief sustainability officer instead of it's like diversity, right? This is our chief diversity officer instead of diversity and sustainability being integrated into the company um, more holistically. And so just like the metaverse, we see companies saying, oh, well, this is sustainable, um, and a lot of companies are being called out for that, right? We saw H&M and we saw that the UK is now passing new laws that make this idea of greenwashing. So saying something is eco-friendly when it perhaps isn't, um, that is being called out. And I think that consumers are demanding more from their clothes and demanding like higher standards. So I see the sustainability in the consumer demand. I see the sustainability in the new generation that wants to shop vintage, that wants to, you know, sell on Depop. That's very cool. And I like that sort of recycling energy instead of always needing to buy something new. Um, and then on the back end, you know, like machine learning is already being used to be able to tag products. So look at a piece of clothing and be able to determine that it's a red dress size, you know, six to eight, something like that. Uh, and those type of um, automations make it easier for companies like ThreadUp, for example, to easily categorize and catalog all of the secondhand clothing that they're sorting through. Um, and so there's a lot going on in terms of um, circularity, manufacturing, that is quite astounding. And I also think that products are coming to life with digital technology. So we're starting to see the QR code end up on all kinds of products or an NFC tag that takes a regular uh, bracelet or handbag and brings it to life with digital technology. One of the companies that I love to talk about, because I've worked with them for 
a number of years now is Blue Byte, and they help companies enable their products to become alive with digital technology. And uh, it's been fascinating to watch them grow from, you know, a startup to a much larger company um, that is now working with some really reputable brands. So I, I do see that traction as well, like being able to categorize things, catalog things, tag things, and then identify them. So verify that this is indeed an authentic Chanel bag with an NFC tag, or um, understand what to do with that product at end of life, because it basically tells you, this is what you should do with me at the end of life, or this is how you should take care of me. So our clothing is like talking. It's in a way, in the same way that wearable technology was making our clothes clothing come to life with digital technology. I think that like NFC and QR is um, kind of bridging that online and offline experience so that you can get more information about your clothing. And then with that, you can inquire into the um, origin of the items. So I think blockchain is another technology that um, will be super important for understanding the origins of everything from diamonds to cotton to leather and so on. So it's, it's, I'm still excited. <laughs> <laughs> and what about like, you know, we're talking, I feel like very much through a bit of a, of a North American lens, you know, you've traveled around a lot, like where is, is, I can't imagine technology is moving at the same pace everywhere around the world. Like, where are you seeing people, you know, kind of pushing things that we haven't in North America, maybe like I think of like the gamification of shopping. I've heard, you know, about that being something for a while that's been very much on trend in, in Japan and other yeah. parts of Asia, like what live shopping. Live yeah. streaming. Um, yeah. Like, so they say that the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. And that's one of my favorite quotes. Because well, I so love true. that quote. It's so true, right? So I was in Nigeria most recently. And I noticed when I was there that, you know, they've just gotten 5G, right? So they just have ubiquitous connectivity. Everybody has a smartphone, which you couldn't say a couple of years ago. And now they are in like peak Instagram and peak influencer era. And that is very much because of kind of where they are on the trend cycle of things. And it was really interesting being there because it was like going back five years or, or 10 years and how, you know, when Instagram was the hottest thing now, of course, in North America, a lot of us have moved on to TikTok and now it's like stories, but there's like such a burgeoning economy right there around Instagram in Nigeria. And it was really exciting to see. And it was also cool to see how now that these merchants have their cell phones and they can use products like Square. Um, it's not Square, that they, they have a different name for it there, but products like that, that allow them to sell to anyone directly, like from the POS of their mobile phone, and to market themselves internationally as well, right? Like they can have clients in anywhere um, because they can ship internationally. So it's very cool to see that like energy and that explosion of technology and how it's changing the landscape in places like Nigeria. Um, but of course, fashion tech means different things in different places. So when I was in San Francisco, I spent a lot of time there. Fashion tech very much meant like Burning Man costumes and light up like LEDs on everything. And that was really fun to experience as well. Um, but it's not 
where everyone is. New York fashion tech definitely means like shopping and retail and you know it's all about the customer and buying things and it's much more commercial. Whereas a lot of the innovations that we're seeing out of France, because Paris is so known for couture, are things that are elevating um, the couture experience and maybe not meant to be experienced on a day-to-day basis. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been a fascinating ride for sure. Where are you, where are you kind of keeping your focus a little, maybe more um, laser than in other places? Like, is there a particular thing that you are like kind of paying really close attention to right now or? Yeah. I mean, I, I am interested to see how automation and yeah, like how automation plays out in Bangladesh. That's not a story that's done yet. Um, so I, 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 I follow what's happening in Bangladesh probably like more closely than you'd think. Um, just because I find like their politics and their, um, their, it's, it's just very interesting to me. Um, so I'm paying attention to what's happening there. Um, I mean, I think that uh, I, I guess because it's top of mind, I'm going to the Snap Partner Summit next month. And LA has and has always had, I mean, California has always had a history of apparel manufacturing, but there seems to be this like renaissance that's happening there now. Um, you know, Miami is a hotbed for tech. There's really honestly things going on everywhere. <laughs> um, and it's just different to see the different cultural adaptations of new technology and how those play out in. Um, retail and manufacturing, apparel, like beauty, accessories, and so on. I think because there can be such a hype cycle, it's easy, I think, as as consumers to jump on that really quickly before we start to think critically about it, maybe. What would you recommend, you know, people who are just sort of interested, the fashion lovers, not someone who is necessarily like yourself steeped in it, but for, you know, you know, consumers who are just sort of following along, what do you want us to have top of mind when we start to hear about new developments in fashion and tech? Like how do we check ourselves before we jump on the, on the hype cycle with both feet? Yeah. I mean, I just check your source, (laughs) check check your source because you know, there's all these sensationalistic headlines that want to make you feel that like, you know, TikTok is bad or, um, you know, AI is going to come for your job. And I think there's a little bit of truth in all headlines, really, unless they're like completely made up. But um, really just think critically about what the source is and find people that you can follow and trust who can synthesize and explain that information. I consider that a part of my job is I'm not someone who's an engineer. I'm not a technologist. So if I'm if I'm able to communicate a complex technological topic, then I know that um, my audience is with me. And then we can start asking the questions together. So I think like, it's important to stay on top of what's happening, but it's like, there's always this, you know, new shiny object syndrome in the news cycle where it's like, oh, now AI is doing this and now it's doing that and it's coming for this and it's coming for that. Like technology, I don't think as a whole is a threat. I think it's how we use it. and as I said, like, I'm very excited about how technology is being um, kind of bent towards sustainable innovation. And I feel like if we can all get on that train, then we'll move there a little faster. So it's not no technology. Let's all live like, you know, cave people. It's more like, 
where technology, like where do we want this, where can this be of use to us? Like how can we as humans pick up that hammer that is technology and do the smartest thing with it? Um, and so, yeah, that's, does that answer your question? It sure does. <laughs> and and you are certainly one of my sources. So for anyone who would like to, to follow along with you and with everything that you're covering on Electric Runway, which is always just such a, a deep understanding of, of things that I know I had no idea what was happening. Where can people follow along? Yeah. So Electric Runway, you can go to electricrunway.com. We're on YouTube as well. We have a TikTok account, Twitter and Instagram. It's all electric underscore runway. And you can follow me personally. I'm at Amanda underscore Costco on most platforms. And we will link all those in the show notes too. So people can find them there. Amanda, thank you so much for being here. I mean, I know this is kind of like a tip of the iceberg macro discussion about what's going on in fashion and tech, but it's such an important and uh, really relevant and, and not going anywhere conversation. I really appreciate you being here to, to share your insights and your perspective. Yeah, thank you so much, Don. I appreciate it. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me here on Fashion Talks. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends, your family, on your networks, it would mean the world to me. Fashion Talks is done in partnership with the Canadian Arts and Fashion Awards. You can find out more about them at Kappa Awards, C-A-F-A-W-A-R-D-S on Instagram. This episode was produced by Jason Perrier. You can find him on Instagram at a Jason Perrier. You can follow the pod at Fashion Talks Pod, and you can follow me at This Is Donna B, all of us on Instagram. I hope you will join us again next week. Thank you so much, and have a great day. Mm-hmm.